0: You are listening to the 2022 Air and Space Power Conference, brought to you by the Royal Australian Air Force's Air and Space Power Centre. In this presentation, Dr Edwin Peters contributes with their discussion on networked space. We join the presentation as it is introduced to the conference attendees. So our next speaker is Edwin Peters. He received his PhD from the University of Newcastle, Australia. He is currently employed as a research associate at the University of New South Wales Canberra where he pursues his interests in signal processing, satellite communications, RF systems and space situational awareness. Thanks for the introduction, David. Um, So I'm presenting some joint work I've been doing with some of my colleagues on combining optical and radio frequency measurements for SSA purposes. quickly introduce the problem, then show some of the hardware that we have around, show some of the initial data processing results that we obtained, and basically give a brief summary. So, jumping straight into it, it's quite crowded around Earth, it's orbit, around 27,000 objects are tracked currently, Um, and most of these are larger than 10 centimeters, limit mostly is because it's very hard to track stuff, smaller than 10 centimeters, because of radar cross-sections. So out of these 27,000 objects, a bit over uh, 4,800 are operational satellites, uh, with the far majority of them being in lower orbit, and that especially accelerated the last decade with a lot of commercial players putting constellations up. And actually in the next four years, this this number is expected to double, so we have over 9,000 satellites in orbit. Um, currently, the position of these satellites is mostly, or the orbits, are mostly provided by estimated, or provided by the 18th Space Command in the form of two line element sets, TLEs. Um They also issue conjunction d- data messages, so called CDMs, if some satellites are getting close to each other or to other debris objects. And currently, these messages are issued roughly when there's Chance greater than one in ten thousand to collide, or to, yeah, to collide with something in Leo, and in geostationary orbits they look at uh, the miss distance being smaller than five kilometers. So, considering how small the objects are, even geostationary, compared to those distances, there's quite a lot of uncertainty. Um, so, with a lot of, with with all these uh, new objects coming up, there's an increasing need for object detection early after launch. Because actually, if something is launched, it often takes a while before you can get an accurate enough orbit to start communicating. Also, if uh, non-cooperative partners put stuff in space, you want to find it as quickly as possible. Also, high-precision orbit refinement becomes more and more important, especially with using narrow-beam, high-gain RF equipment or even optical communications. You need to know where to point your equipment at. Uh, Maneuver detection is not a really interesting field to start looking into, especially since propulsion becomes available on smaller spacecraft. Um, And TLEs actually don't capture that very well. Uh, Space health detection, which Melrose mentioned a bit earlier as well, is an interesting thing to look into, uh, especially if two objects, for example, are in conjunction course. If one shows signs of deteriorating health, it might be fair to assume that that's not the one that's going to move out of the way. Um, so, this is where the government-funded CSCP project comes in place, um, which is titled A Sensor Network for Integrated Space Traffic Management for Australia, uh, which we work on with, col- with our collaborators, all Australian-based Clearbox Systems, Blue Ridge, and Capricorn Space. So, we look at using observations, RF, so Radio Frequency Passive Observations, combine this with data obtained by, from optical telescopes and use this for orbit determination, orbit refinement, maneuver and anomaly detection. And the focus is to build a low-cost system that will cover Australia, maybe even outside of Australia in the future. <clears throat> so I'll show some of the hardware we have at the moment. So this is our Sat Hot site on the top of the UNSW Canberra building. It's a couple of kilometers away from here. And this, is, this site features RF sensors, where on the left-hand picture, you can see two antennas. Uh, these are omnidirectional, so they can generally scan the whole horizon and pick up everything there, including interferers. Uh, the one on the right in the picture, it's a bit hard to spot, I think, on the slide, but that's an interesting antenna because it covers all the way from the VHF band up to the mid-L band, so you can capture a lot of information of that. In the middle picture, there is a rotator with a KU band dish, so you can use that to track, for example, just some geostationary um, television stations. Uh, and other satellites, there's an S-band dish coming up there as well, And on the right-hand side is a directional antenna, so these operate in the UHF band, so they feature a lot higher gain, higher interference rejection than those omnidirectionals. Um, so current RF capabilities are covered by our UNSW side, and two sides by our collaborator, Clearbox Systems, one in Adelaide and one also in Canberra down in Fishwick. And they cover VHF, UHF, L-band, S-band, and KU-band. At the moment, these bands provide us enough data for the current purposes, but more bands can be installed. So just an example of what would data look like that we captured with this. So this uh, data we captured last week, is an Indian uh, Leo CubeSat called Saral, uh, that's transmitting in the UHF band. And on the left-hand side, that is a so-called waterfall plot, Uh, We have time on the horizontal axis, I think it's a bit hard to read, frequency on the vertical axis, and the color intensity tells you how powerful the signal is, so the brighter the color, the more powerful it is. So the left-hand picture is captured by the omnidirectional disco antenna, so this antenna did not have to track, it was just pointing up, and we took data in from it. The right-hand side picture is the same path, but recorded by our directional Yagi antenna. So that had to track the satellite, but you can see there's a lot better signal-to-noise ratio. You can actually see the side lobes very clearly. Another really interesting feature that you can see is on the left-hand picture, you can see all those vertical bars that go through, and that's actually local interference from terrestrial emitters most likely. And because our receiving antenna is vertically oriented, it will pick all that up. The receiver antenna on the right-hand side uh, was horizontally oriented, so they'll actually not pick much of that up, so it's a lot lot less of that interference. So this is just an example of capturing different methods can provide useful for each idea. Um, another, on the optical front, we have our Viper Wide Field of View Telescope. It's located in Yas, around 80 kilometers north of where we are. And it's, for being a telescope, quite wide range of view, one and a half degrees. It has a NVIDIA Jetson, so a little computer on it, so it can do edge processing at spot. And it's yeah, going through the final stages of commissioning. So hopefully it should be operational in a few weeks. Uh, and on the right, is just a beautiful picture. It took of the moon a uh, while ago. Uh, also, we have access to the Falcon Network, which Melrose presented beautifully earlier, and Steve as well. So I won't spend too much time on that. But it's basically a shared between the US Air Force Academy. We have a telescope on site as well. And we use it to capture pictures from satellites. And this is an example data recorded by Steve Geely, Uh, where on the left hand side you see M2 and A and B, around 30 hours after separation. And on the right hand side you see the light curve, so that's basically measuring the SNR. On each of those still images, you can actually see both of them present at the same time at the end of the pass. So you know we have presented a lot of the data that we have, but how are we going to use this? So, the idea is that we, on each of the sensor sites, do some edge processing, can measure parameters out of the data, then, through some open source protocols, can transfer this into the cloud. Uh, for example, Amazon Web Services, um, that then aggregates this data. We have an on site supercomputer with a lot of GPU power so that we can do some heavy processing and orbit determination to it, and that provides data to the user in the form of orbit research data to the researchers. Uh, there's also a scheduler that we can priority schedule what objects we want to track, and ideally it gets automatic sensor allocation. If we know something very precise where it is, we can put a narrow field of view antenna or a telescope at it. If we don't exactly know where it is, we need wider field of view uh, equipment. Um, a example on some of the processing that I've done that we've done so far. So this is on RF data. Uh, so from one side, what we can measure is frequency offset, or Doppler. As the object flies over, the frequency goes up as it approaches us and goes down as it goes away from us. Um, so if you map enough of those Doppler curves, you can actually fit an orbit to that. Uh, so to the right-hand side is an example of a waterfall. Again, time on the, on the horizontal axis, frequency on the vert- vertical of our M2 pass. And overlaid is a frequency estimation. So the way how this is done, I'm not stepping too much into details with it, but we do a course acquisition where we basically do a search for energy, or actually energy fitting a pattern. And then we do a fine estimation where we detect what the carrier is doing. And the color, like the red dots on that figure, that is actually the course acquisition results. And if they are out in nowhere, it's basically just because in that block of data, they didn't find anything. And the color that goes from blue till what is it, pink, uh, is the fine frequency estimation, where the more bluish the color, the more accurate the frequency estimation is. On the left hand side, in those two figures, can you see the blue lines in there? I hope you can. Um, That is basically that algorithm run on simulated data. We simulate the Doppler curve and then check how good are the estimations compared to what we set the Doppler to. And on the horizontal axis, you can see the SNR levels, the signal to noise ratio of that signal that we put in. And on the Uh, vertical axis you can see the frequency error, uh, mean and standard dev.